the series we've been in is Dare to be Different, uh, that idea that uh, as, as Christians in this world that uh, there should be um, a difference in our lives, that people ought to be able to see that. And, and um, we're uh, looking at uh, uh, Daniel chapter two, 3 today. I was reminded of um, this uh, word conviction. Um, several years ago there was a movie out. I don't know if any of you saw that. There's a movie out called, uh, co- called uh, this, that same title, Conviction. And if you remember what that was about, or if you've heard of it, it, it was... Uh, uh, it actually, it came out about 10 years ago, and what it was is um, it was about a man by the name of Kenny Waters, and he was wrongly accused of br- brutally murdering a, a woman in her Massachusetts home back in 1980. And uh, while the, the movie focuses on the wrongful conviction of this man, it's really about the conviction, pun intended, uh, of Betty Waters, Kenny's older sister. Betty was a high school dropout, and she was so convinced of her brother's innocence that she enrolled in a community college, then on to law school, and then she became her brother's attorney. And eventually, after a period of time, she was able to show through DNA evidence, DNA testing, that, that that the blood that was found at the murder scene was not her brother's, and an interesting thing is that after 18 years in prison, Kenny Waters was declared innocent. Um, kind of interesting to think about that and, and, and look at that in light of some of the things that we're seeing with the, some of the presidential pardons and things that are happening recently. And just you, you can't imagine in your mind what that would be like after so many years of prison of, of just being set free. Um, I, th- I, I just think that that would be, I, I just can't imagine what that would be like. Um, regardless of guilt, what that would be like coming out those many years later. But this is what um, Kenny, Kenny told the news reporters um, when, uh, when he was let out. He said, I think it is absolutely amazing, speaking of his sister, I think it, was, it is absolutely amazing that she dedicated her life to this. I just think that that's an amazing statement, really, because at the heart of that word, of this word conviction, I think is this, it's just this unwillingness to really compromise. It's, it's, it's this, this, this ability or this, this uh, desire to stand firm on, maybe even fight for whatever it is that you believe in, and, and to just give it everything that you have and to, to, to work hard to make sure that, that we have a desired out- outcome. And, and I really think that that's at what's really at the heart of this story in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at that uh, here. Um, again, If you uh, hopefully you have your Bibles open to that. Daniel chapter 3. Um, I, I just couldn't help, as I was looking at this, I think, ponder this idea of absolute conviction. Because as, as you know, I think we know this. Do we know this? I think we know it. The, the fact that our culture today, uh, well, it just seems like everybody has a price. Um, in fact, I think it's a pretty common theme throughout Scripture. You start at, at that theme clear back in the book of Genesis, and you see this fellow by the name of Joseph. He's, he's encountered by Potiphar's wife, and she wants him to compromise on his values. And he turns back, he leaves his robe, and he runs 
We discover it again, I think, even in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is challenged about his own system of beliefs and whether he is going to be honorable to God and do the thing that God calls him to do or is he going to turn his back on God and stay put. When we took at, take a look at these three Hebrew men here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what we see, I think, are people of incredible conviction, the kind of conviction that allows them to stand to stand up tall, to stand, even when all of the pressure stands against them. So Daniel chapter 3, I just want to set the stage for that a little bit here. We're, we're not, really, not going to read this whole chapter. It's pretty long. But we are going to walk, out, walk our way through it. And, and I just want to highlight some things that are in it because I think it's important that we see how the writer of Scripture has so clearly given us indication of what's, going to hap- of what's, what's important in this text here. You may remember that a few weeks ago, when we were in Daniel chapter 2, that there was this, it was about this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, the vision of this giant statue, and the head and the shoulders of that giant statue are made out of pure gold. The chest was made out of silver, the the torso was, and the thighs were made out of bronze, and then the legs and the feet were made out of iron and clay. And that was the indication, or the indication was that the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar and that the other layers or whatever were, were various other, uh, other kingdoms. But the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar. And what happens, what we see happening in chapter 3 is, is I think, in direct contrast to that because now there's this 90-foot statue that has been erected of Nebuchadnezzar, and it's entirely plated with gold. I mean, it's as if it's as if Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you know, hey, I understand how this works. How one kingdom gives way to another kingdom, gives way to another kingdom, and 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 that's what all that that different metal means. So what I'm going to do is is I'm going to make this all out of gold, indicating that I'm here for good. Nobody is going to take my place. And in, in everything that we read in history uh, confirms the, what, what you might think about Nebuchadnezzar. He was a very arrogant, self-serving man. But he creates all of this pressure so that people will, in fact, bow down and will worship that particular statue, that particular image. And so he brings in all the important officials in the kingdom. He brings in all these people from other nations. And he says, as soon as you hear the band strike up, everybody, everyone, and I mean everyone, is to bow down. That's the command of the king himself. The text indicates in verse number 7 that when the music began at, at the very first note, people began to bow down. You kind of, you go to China today and you see some things, you know, they had, they had a similar, I think, idea of this. I mean, people bow down whether they wanted to or not. I was thinking about um, Soleimani's funeral in Iran. Do you see all those loyalists? It's like you raise the hand and they do what they're supposed to do. I think a very similar situation right here. As soon as that note hits, they all bow down. And the text says all of them bow down. 
except three. Here, here you have these court officials, the, the magicians of Babylon, who I, I suspect are just a little bit miffed because of the elevation of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, they're miffed at the, the fact that they're elevated in the first place. And they immediately highlight Shadrach. Is, is, I, 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 I imagine that what it was is they're all bowing down, but they're kind of peeking, kind of, sort of, you know, or looking at them because they know, in fact, that these will not bow down. And so they highlight Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and in spite of the pressure, in spite of the king's command, in spite of the fact that he comes directly to them and gives them a second chance. It's an interesting part in that text where, oh, let me give you one more chance. Okay, because he likes these guys. I'll give you another chance. So as soon as we do that, then you bow down. I'm giving you a second chance. And they refuse. And I just think that that is an incredible conviction. What a, what a tremendous testimony to something that they held so valuable that they were not willing to compromise for anything. And right in the midst of this story, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar becomes enraged. Now there's all kinds of interesting words in this text to, to try to, to help you to catch, catch the, the sights and the sounds of what's going on. The writer has, has written it to, to grab our attention, uh, to grab our entire sense about this. I mean, he talks about different odors. He talks about um, all of these images. For example, he calls his mighty men. And now, now, these are not just a bunch of bums. These are the best men in his army who come, and according to the text that they bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they bind them tightly. I, I'm sure that these guys knew how to tie uh, a knot. Um, I don't think that they made it really loose for them. But then they take and throw them into this fire that because of the king's rage, is, it has been heated seven times hotter than usual. In fact, the narrator is going to go so far as to tell us that, that when those men were thrown into the fire, that the guys that actually threw him into the fire died. See, he wants to make sure that you and I understand that this fire is so deadly that it's going, to do, it's, it's going to do its job. In fact, it kills the very soldiers that, that, that take, who take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. Well, if you remember the story, they throw three in. Um, but there are four that appear in the furnace. Reminds me of that, that song, Fourth Man in the Fire, uh, that one skit that they had for... Uh, um, What's his name? We watched it on the, on the video the other day. So anyway, you remember the fourth man in the fire, that one kind of comedian guy, and he, he can't quite, quite get everything together. But anyway, Gaithers, and, and some of you may have seen that, the fourth man in the fire. It's, it's actually kind of humorous. But, but there's four who appear in the furnace, and, 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 and there have been a lot of questions about that. Who is that fourth person? Is this an appearance of God in that furnace? And is this, or is this an early incarnation of Jesus Christ? Does Christ show up in an early form? Is this an angel? Whatever. And the answer to that is this. Um, I don't know. But we do know this. 
God showed up in some fashion to keep those people safe. Now the text is going to go on and tell you some remarkable things. Uh, when, they emerge from, uh, when, when they emerge from the furnace, they, they end up not being bound. The, the ropes are burned away, but there is no evidence that they were ever in a fire. Uh, the text says that their hair wasn't singed, that they didn't smell like smoke, it, it didn't look like they had been in a fire. And uh, You know, I've never been in a fire before. Any of you guys ever been in a fire before? Um, you were a fireman, so you know what that's like. And, and so, you know, I think about the, some of these. Anyone who has ever been in a fire will tell you that that stink is awful. I know that people, I've heard of people who've cleaned their homes and tried to get that. They say that you can't get that smell out once you've done that. I think about some of the fires. Uh, there's a family in, in Westby that just got into fire. And I, but but what they, what they, they try to rebuild those homes after that fire and, or, or try to clean it all up. And they get the cleaners, uh, whoever the clean, local cleaners are. And it just seems like you can't get that out of the walls, out of the paint, out of the whatever, even if you throw all the carpets and stuff away. Um, people have testified that even though they've sprayed their homes with special odor, odor deterrents to get the smell of the smoke out, that in fact on hot and humid days that you actually, you know, even years later, you still have that odor that reveals that this house had a fire. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they come out without any evidence whatsoever that they've been in the fire. God, God had brought them through, through in, in such a way that there was absolutely no misunderstanding that they had been rescued. I think the heart of the story, after you think about the turn of the events that happens in Nebuchadnezzar's life, is, is where for second or the second of three times he is going to actually honor God. It's not going to be a permanent thing, but he at least is going to honor God. When you look back at this text, you, you, you can't help but find yourself focusing on this key question. I want, you know, take, a, take a close look at the, at the middle of, of Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse 13 and uh, the verses that follow. It's, it's, it's a verse, I think, that uh, this one here comes right on the heels of the announcement that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego haven't bowed down to the king's statue. But this is what it says in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? By the way, that's the seventh time in this chapter alone that Nebuchadnezzar calls attention to the fact that he set the image up. This is Nebuchadnezzar's thing. Didn't you bow down to the image I have set up? And so he gives them another chance. Verse 15, when you, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, if you, there's a whole list of them there in the text. I think I, I probably have it there. The, the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, uh, lyre uh, harp, pipe, and all kinds of musical instruments. When you hear the sound of those instruments, if you bow down and worship, then good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Now don't miss this question here. I think this is the key question. Then, 
what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? In other words, what kind of a God do you think can stand up against me? I really think that that is the heart of this text. What kind of a God exists that can empower people to stand up against their culture, to stand up against his pressures when, when literally everybody under the command of the king is bowing down to the cultural demands? What kind of a God can do that? And in this text, you are given that answer. Look at verse number 28. Now, I recognize that, that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't always mean everything that he says, but look at what he does say in verse 28. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And you know who that god is, right? The god of Scripture empowers us to be able to stand up against the tide. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that. And the obvious question, I think, to that is, what is it that produces that? What gives us, I mean, what gives people the ability to make the kind of choice to stand against the tide? Remember, the, the title of the sermon series is Dare to be Different. Well, look at verse number 16. You might... You might want to honor, underline that if you'd like to underline in your Bible, but this verse, uh, if you, so just, just so you can come back to it again and again, but verse number 16, I just think it's amazing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, and this is, this is after the question, what kind of God can rescue you? And this is how they reply. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hands, O King. Now let me just say, I mean, you hear it right there, right? You hear the commitment. You hear that absolute confidence. You hear that conviction, absolute conviction. It does not matter. We're going to trust God, and He can do this, and we believe that God will. But you never want to stop just reading right there. You, because I, I think that all of us are sometimes tempted to think that we know what that deliverance that God is going to have looks like. But you've got to read the next verse. Because even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe that God can rescue them, read the following statement, verse number 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Amazing statement. Do you hear the depth of that? We believe he can. We know he can. But if he does not, it does not matter. We will be faithful anyway. If it doesn't go the way we expect it, if it doesn't happen the way that we want it to, it's all right. Because we believe God knows more than we do. Just kind of chew on that for a little bit. We believe God knows more than we do. We trust this God to give us the right answer, not just the answer that we think that we ought to get. 
And I think that the world is looking for that kind of conviction in people. I really do. I think that the world is asking us as believers in Jesus, who, those who claim to follow him, do you have what it takes to live like that, to trust me no matter what? To put your trust ahead of the answer, not to say after everything turns out, you know, I know God would do it. How many of you are guilty of that, right? Oh, I knew God would do it. But to say ahead of time, I know that God can do this, but if even if he does not, I will be faithful. I will be loyal to him. And I think that the world wants that. I think that the world is looking for a level of commitment that is just beyond the ordinary. And the question is, why are, why are we having such a hard time making that commitment as believers in Jesus? Because the world is looking for it. The world, you know, they're looking for anyone who will stand up and say, you know what, I am committed to this and I will stay with this no matter what. See, whenever I watch the news, whenever I watch football or I watch the interviews or, you know, of athletes and whenever I'm out in the public, when I, you know, I see example after example after example who, of people who claim to be Christians, but they don't have the boldness in the midst of the pressures of our culture to live like Christians. And I, well, I think we saw that a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I just want you to know ahead of time, I, 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 this is not a political statement. Even though, you know, I, I could make it a political, it's not, but it is a political illustration. But I think a couple of weeks ago we saw that when a certain re- senator reported, reportedly went against the status quo of his party to render a decision that could in fact cause him his political career, Again, that's not a political statement. Don't understand it as such. Get the bigger picture here. It's not, uh, it's not even an attempt on my part to validate or even to not validate his decision. Could care less. That's not my point. My point is that regardless of whether or not you believe or don't believe that Mitt Romney's vote against the president was genuinely motivated by faith or not, you know, I, I, I mean, I really don't know. Don't care. The point is, you see how people rallied around that? Someone was saying, wow, what conviction to stand against the... I think that that says something about our culture. And in, my, in our day and age, I think that that is... That is, that is I, I don't even know if the rest of them believed it or not, but there were people in America that did. They're looking for that. The point is that we that people do, in fact, want us to live by our convictions. What, what people really want to see from our lives as Christians is that we live by what we say we believe, that we don't say one thing and then act another, that, that, that we not only talk the talk, but that we walk the walk. And I think it's so sad. But there are people out there in the world who claim to be disciples of Jesus, and yet you'd never be able to tell by the way they behave. I mean, it's no wonder that the world looks at the church and says, is that the best that you have to offer? Is that as good as you can be? And so here's the challenge, and I close with this. To live our lives in such a way that it is obvious that we believe differently than that. To really believe that we can make a commitment that, that matters. To, to live a life that will cause people to take notice, all because that we have chosen to live out our commitments. That that it's not just a game that we play. 
that it isn't just a label that we wear, that we, but we have made a choice to say, I will follow God. I don't care what happens. I'm going to follow him. If, if, if he does it my way, that's great. If, if he doesn't do it my way, that's all right, because I have put my faith, my, my feet firmly in this conviction that God can, that God will, and even if he doesn't, I'm going to, I'm going to stay put. And I think that's the call. And, and nothing less, in my opinion, is adequate. Not in a world where there are people who claim to be Christians, and yet they do some pretty dumb, oftentimes horrible things. And I think that it's up to you and me, it's up to the church to, to counteract that. And the only people who can do that are people like you and me, doing exactly what we are doing, giving God the honor that is due Him. So how do you do that? You make a commitment to trust Him, no matter what. You make a commitment that you will do what God calls you to do, no matter what. You make a commitment to, to listen to His voice and to be faithful and obedient to what He calls you to do. That's the challenge. The challenge is to be faithful to God no matter what, to trust Him when all the rest is, of the world is bowing down to culture, when all the rest of the world is succumbing to whatever that the world wants them to do or to be, the challenge is to put your feet, your feet firmly in this conviction that I can trust God no matter what because He will always do the right thing. He will always do things right. Nothing less than that is what we need to commit ourselves to that. Nothing less than that. Nothing less than that. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, I just know how distracted I get to be. Um, I know that nobody in this room is, gets distracted like I do. But we get distracted. We forget what it's all about. We place our hopes and our dreams on frivolous things. And we minimize, I think, in the side of that, we minimize the importance of your sacrifice. And God, I just pray that you would give us that boldness. Forgive us where we have failed to be what you want us to be. God, wake us up in, our, in the midst of this culture that so desperately, desperately needs you. Give us the, the, the conviction or the, the, the ability to be able to discern that which is important and that which is not. In Jesus' name, amen.